Good morning. Today, I want us to change gears a little. We've been traveling through a very difficult environment over the last few months that's required some really quite sudden changes in the way we approach our lives. Some of this change has been in our work, some in our social life, and some in our personal life. But it's required a shift in our thinking. It has produced or highlighted even some mental and emotional tensions that we've struggled to come to terms with, and it's challenged and changed our spiritual paradigms as well. Now, the interesting thing about all this, which I think speaks to the resilience of us as people, is that we've become accustomed to this new way of life. We've taken it in our stride after at least after the initial shock had worn off, and we adapted to the new social landscape. We incorporated its quirks into our everyday language. Uh, for us non-huggers, for instance, the warning social distancing is a new non-confrontational way of making sure that people don't invade your personal space. Um, even our language has evolved with the times. I mean, we're an ISO and we have bottles of Sani lying around so we don't spread the rona. Uh, we hate the magpies who hoard the toilet paper and the pasta. Uh, and we love a good Zoom bomber. And we look to the future by talking about the new normal. But just as we've adjusted to life in isolation, the new normal is now upon us. The government is lifting restrictions for social and business life and our lives are now being turned upside down again as the relative certainty of the rules of lockdown have been exchanged for the uncertainty of the ever-changing roadmap of the recovery from COVID-19. And let me tell you, I believe that this transition is going to be as challenging as the initial move into lockdown itself. So while we're adjusting to new work, social, mental and emotional landscapes, I want to use this new series we're embarking on today to move forward to re-energize our spiritual mindset and to be more interactive both with our church family and the community we serve outside the church. This series is titled Scarcity and Generosity and it's focusing on our Vision Builders campaign for this next financial year. Uh, we're going to launch that on July the 5th which will be our Vision Builders Sunday. This year, being one of massive upheaval, raises a couple of questions which I hope to answer satisfactorily over the next few weeks. The first, of course, is how are we actually going to inspire, inform and encourage people to get behind this year's Vision Builders, where we don't know when we can meet together like we did pre-COVID. The second question is why? Why are we pressing ahead with a Vision Builders campaign in the midst of all this strife, job losses, social unrest and uncertainty about the future? The answer to the first question is, you'll have to wait and see. Uh, we've, had, we've had to be a bit creative this year, um, but you'll find out how we're going to get your attention uh, over the next week or so. Answering the second question is one of the purposes of this coming series. When our livelihoods and our lifestyles are threatened, it can put into sharp focus who we have put our trust in. And I think we'd all like to think that we face adversity just as it describes in James 1, Verse 2, where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, where troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. But let's be honest, our faith can be shaken in times like this. So it's always good to reflect on Jesus' perspective on what we're facing. So to introduce the series today, right now I'm going to play you a video from the Bible Project on the theme of generosity. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. 
there's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host, and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, 
You know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. I think the analogy of being invited to a party where God is the host is a very powerful one. And I think that our response as guests is a great indication of our trust in God's generosity. Are we enjoying what has been provided for us, trusting that God has everything under control? Or are we those people who have barricaded ourselves in the pool room with five plates of hors d'oeuvres just in case no more comes out? There are a number of aspects of the whole generosity theme that stand out in that video. But the one I want to look at this morning is the mindset of Jesus, because many of the descriptions of God's generosity that we saw in the video come straight from his mouth. And we can read about them in the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, starting at verse 22. And it says, Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus said, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? I think a lot of things are worried about that already. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And I think for us, it's easy to look at this scripture and assume that Jesus is speaking here from a divine perspective, because From a human perspective, the way we look at it, what he's saying seems almost irresponsible and even a little naive, almost as though he was raised in the 1960s by hippies. Uh, The problem with that assumption, not the one about the 1960s, but the fact that he's being naive or looking at it from a divine perspective, is that it makes Jesus' words easy to ignore. We think, okay, it's fine for him to think that way. He's God, but he doesn't know what it's like for us in the real world. But then again, he does, because we forget Jesus was also fully human and he had a human upbringing. We are actually able to aspire to be like Jesus because he came to show us how to be truly human. So if Jesus is speaking here from a human perspective, where does he get this abundance worldview from? And the answer is, of course, he gets it from the same place we all get our worldview, from our upbringing, our education and our experiences. And you see, Jesus' cultural tradition 
was Jewish scriptural heritage. Jesus was raised on the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms. Some of his first memories would have been hearing his parents singing the poetry of the Psalms to him. And this heritage is full of exactly the worldview that Jesus is expressing right here in Luke. Much of it is Jewish poetic meditation literature. And this is reflected when Jesus says the words, you know, look at the ravens and look at the lilies. He's not asking us to just sort of look at them as we zoom past in our cars or wonder at them, you know, there's a bird. It, he, the word he uses here is actually to ponder, to think deeply or to meditate on it. And so he's asking to, us to look at what God has done in his creation and meditate on that. And in doing so, we see that Jesus' abundance mindset comes from a tradition of looking at creation as the experience of God's generous abundance everywhere you look. Psalm 104, for example, is a meditation on the first chapter of Genesis. It starts with the line, let all that I am praise the Lord. And then it continues marveling at the grandeur of God's generous creation. So the reason that Luke 12.22 sounds a little hippie-ish and the concepts are hard for us to grasp, it's because Jesus is coming from a mindset which is completely foreign to most of us. And not only that, while he's doing that, he's also attacking our own mindsets, our scarcity mindsets at the same time, because he goes on and he says in Luke 12, 29, and don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure in heaven for you and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so here we have more of this hippie commune view of wealth. And it's, it's interesting to, to make an aside here and note that the biblical view of wealth doesn't resonate with people who are really, really invested in a worldly economic system. And yet we need to look at the context of Jesus' statements here. For instance, we know that Jesus and his disciples were funded by a group of wealthy individuals who were obviously not selling all their possessions. We also know that Luke wrote his gospel and the book of Acts uh, under the patronage of a guy called Theophilus, whom presumably bankrolled Luke's efforts. And so obviously Jesus isn't anti-wealth. So what point is he actually making here? Well, let's read the first line of verse 22 again. It says, Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said. So what caused Jesus, what prompted him to turn back to his disciples and give a greater explanation about something. And if we back up just one verse to, to Luke 12, 21, we find that he says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And so here we have the crux of the worldview that Jesus is putting forward. As an example, have you heard of the minimalist living movement? It's a movement which is gaining popularity around the world where people are realizing that their possessions shouldn't define them. So they sell them all. 
Uh, they put them on Gumtree or on eBay or, or whatever it is. And uh, let me tell you, there are some good bargains to have because they've done it. And the idea is that they're, they're simplifying their lifestyles to free themselves from the shackles of a materialistic culture and that, that sort of lifestyle. And Jesus takes this a step further because his worldview is not just that materialism corrupts, but that you also need to have a relationship with God. And not only that, unless your relationship with God is richer than your relationship with your material possessions, then you are a fool. And why does he say that? Because he says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who do not have God. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, what is my worldview? Do I have a scarcity mindset that stops me from being generous? Do I look out at creation and see God's abundance? And so I encourage you today, take a fresh look at your mindset, line it up with what we've read in Luke 12 today, and begin to ask God for fresh revelation. Pray Psalm 51 over your heart and ask God to bring something new into your mind. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And that salvation spoken of in verse 12 there is that rich relationship with God that we see in Luke 12.21. And if you're watching this morning and you know that you need to start a relationship with God, or you're watching and you know that your relationship needs a reboot, then I want to give you that opportunity right now to do just that. I'm going to ask you to open your heart to God and invite him into your life by praying this prayer, which is going to appear on your screen, by repeating it after me. And if you do pray this prayer with me, please indicate this by pressing the raise hand button in the chat on your screen. Somebody will follow you up privately to help you with your next step in your work, walk with Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, today I want to start a new relationship with you. I'm sorry for my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. I put my trust in you as my Saviour and Lord. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. Thank you for making me a new creation. Amen. Now next week, we might look at the concept of scarcity and what causes it in our lives. So I look forward to seeing you then.